Okay, thank you. This morning we're in Psalm 46. So I want to encourage you to turn there with me in your Bible. We're going to read the whole psalm, which is 11 verses. <clears throat> this psalm, Psalm 46, has been called the Song of Holy Confidence, based on the content, as we're going to see here in just a minute. Martin Luther uh, used this psalm a lot. Actually, it's, called, it's been often called uh, Luther's psalm. He used it so much because during, you know, the time when Luther was alive, the Roman Catholic Church was putting a lot of emphasis on what you need to do uh, to make your salvation real, to work out your own salvation. And Martin Luther came along with the opposite view, and he said, you just have to trust in what God did, not what you do, what God did. And so he used, uses this where it talks about holy confidence, confidence in God. So let's read through the 46th Psalm, and then I want to kind of unpack it for us in the time we have left. Okay, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within, or God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We have a fortress. Did you know that? We need to be reminded of that, and that's what uh, the author here of Psalm 46 was saying, that we need to be reminded of that. We need to remind ourselves. So I'm going to break this down into three, three parts. The first part is verses 1, 2, and 3. The second part is verses 4 through 7, and the third part is verses 8 through 10. So here's the first point, the first uh, entry you can put in your blank if you want to write this down. I will not fear because I have a refuge. A refuge is a safe place. It's a safe harbor. It's a place where we can retreat. We know we're not going to be attacked there. It's a place of rest. I will not fear because I have a refuge. So under that I've got an A, B, and a C. A is is our refuge, our safe harbor, 
our hiding place, our shelter in the storm. They say that everybody ought to have a plan in your mind if a tornado would come ripping through your neighborhood. Where would you go? Would you go to the basement? Would you go to a certain side of the house? Would you crawl in the bathtub? Where would you go? What would you do? It's good to have a, a shelter in a time of storm and know where we would go. When, when God divided up the land of Israel, he set boundaries and he said this tribe would get territory from this limit to that limit and beside that would be another tribe and he explained the borders of that tribe's possession and then he would describe the next one and he divided that the Israel into among the 12 tribes and everyone had their own possession that they could pass on to their descendants. And then after he had that all laid out, he pointed out that there would be seven cities of refuge. They weren't all clustered together. They were scattered out all over the kingdom. City of refuge. If someone needed safe harbor, if someone needed a place to go where there would be protection, it would be one of these seven cities of refuge around the country. It's, a, it's amazing how some of these things spelled out in the Bible way back then are coming around and we're seeing them again today in our world with different terms. In verse 2, he says, though the earth give way, what would it be like if the earth gave way under your feet and there's no support anymore? Everything just collapsed. That'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? We want to have something to put our feet on. We want solid ground. What would it be like if, if the mountains who are always there shifted and fell into the sea? What would be the result of that? He says, even though these things happen and your whole world collapses around you and there's nothing stable yet to hang on to, the good news is we have a refuge we can always press in and be where the Lord wants us to be. So, I don't have to fear because I have a refuge. The second thing he says there in verses 1, 2, 3 is, he says, God is our strength. God is our strength. Now, he's not going to be your strength as long as you are your strength. But if we can come to that place of recognizing and acknowledging our weakness our inability to accomplish something, our inability to make this wrong right, if we can come to Him and confess our sin and confess our weakness, it's amazing then what strength we find in Him. It's His strength. But if I don't need Him, I'm my own strength, and God will let that happen, you know. He'll just, he'll just sit back with His arms folded and watch, and I, I think He'll just smile a little bit as we learn our lesson the hard way. God is good. He's our strength. Reminds me of the, uh, the old hymn, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. 
I need to know what those promises are. How am I going to discover those promises if I never read the Word, if I never see what God had said, if I never saw what I could trust in, what I could believe in, what I could hope for? He gives us hope. So He's our refuge. He's our strength. And thirdly, He's our ever-present help. Ever-present. Which means He's always right there. And maybe that means something different to us today in, in, uh, in the church in the 21st century than it did for them way back in the Old Testament. Because back then they depended on the Holy Spirit to come along beside them and help them. We got the Holy Spirit living inside of us 24-7. When I do the right thing and when I do the wrong thing. He is always my ever-present help. We need to remind ourselves of that. In March of 1780, the first week, there was a series of earthquakes that, that hit England. And some of those couple hundred years old buildings collapsed and uh, a lot of people were killed and it devastated the countryside. And because it was a series of earthquakes, everybody was afraid it was going to hit their town next. And there was this panic in the country and people being superstitious in the day thought for sure this is the end of the world people that were Christians thought this was a sign of the Lord's return so the following Sunday on March 8th 1750 churches were packed all over England John Wesley happened to be the pastor at Hyde Park in London and he said that sanctuary was packed. Every seat was filled and there were people standing in the back because they realized their earth was being shaken. And so he preached a message, a sermon that Sunday called God is our fortress. And he had three points. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our ever-present help. And he used these verses as his text. And dozens of people made a decision for Christ at Hyde Park because crisis had come to their world. I think when crisis comes to our world, people get interested in God. I remember the Sunday after 9-11, we anticipated it and we were right. We had a bump in attendance. We had people we had never seen before here. They didn't stick around because the crisis passed. We need to see ourselves in crisis all the time. I mean, uh, I, I want God's, I need God's hand in my life guiding me the way he wants me to go. Yeah. All right. So I will not fear. We need to keep telling ourselves, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. I will not fear because I have a refuge, a safe place to go. Here's the second thing, verses four, 4 through 7. He says, I will not faint because I have a river. Amen. Do you have a river? Uh, it says this river makes glad the city of God. Is that city Jerusalem 
or could, could it be a principle that goes beyond the city? Can the city of God be something else? I think the city of God is a type of the church. When the church comes together, not the church building, church organization, the assembly of believers, when we come together, this is like the city of God. And he describes it in a couple of ways. He says it's where the most high dwells. And I know the Most High doesn't dwell in any, any building, no matter how fancy the architecture is. That's not where God dwells. The Most High dwells inside of us. So you see, when we all come together and we interact and we sing the same song and we focus on the same lesson, it's, we become the city of God, the place where the Most High dwells. It says God is within her. She will not fall. God is within the church of Jesus Christ, and she shall not fall, referring to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Somebody could blow this building up. It wouldn't damage the church, because the building's not the church, it's us. Amen. We'd have to find another place to meet. It's probably going to cost us all something. It, it would cost us all something if that happened. Not predicting anything. Because the church will not fall. And the third thing, he says, God will help her at break of day. Implying there's a nighttime. There's a nighttime we go through. There's a dark period we go through. But at break of day, joy comes in the morning. Amen. His promises are new every morning. So if you're going through the night season of your life, hang on to him. Get into your refuge because he's going to make it all better in the morning. Amen. And there will be a morning. So he's describing a river, a river that comes out. And it's... It, it's in the, the city of God. Ezekiel chapter 47 goes a little bit deeper into this. He, he describes a, a, a water that begins flowing out of the, the throne of God. And it flows out onto the temple floor and out under the gates of the temple and down the streets and out the, uh, of the gates of the city and down into the Kidron Valley uh, to the east. And uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, sees this happening. He sees this water flowing down and he looks at it and he goes to step into it and he puts his feet in and he's up to his ankles. And the river just gets a little wider. So he steps in a little further till he's up till his knees. And the river just gets wider. So he goes a little deeper and he's up to his waist. And then he goes a little deeper and he's up to his neck. And the next thing he knows, he's over his head swimming in this river that's flowing out. I wonder what that could be symbolizing for our world today. In John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
Jesus is interpreting that vision. When somebody believes in Christ and surrenders our life and put, gives our sin to him and allow him to put his spirit inside of us, we become the source of the living waters that flow out, Amen. giving life to the world. In Ezekiel 47, that illustration I was just talking about, about going into the river, in uh, verse 9, he wraps it up like this. Swarms of living creatures will live within wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. I call that healing. So where the river flows, everything will live. Are you getting this? Where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, there is life. There is new hope. There's new excitement. There's new beginnings. There's new chances where the river flows. And out of the heart of a believer flows living water that brings life to the world around us. Let me share three things about rivers that I think apply to what we're talking about here. Number one, rivers always flow downward. They don't flow uphill. They flow downhill. I had a guy come up and tell me after I preached this last night on Saturday night, he came up and told me that there is a place in California where water flows uphill. And I thought, yeah, right. Ripley's, believe it or not, maybe that's got in there or something. You know, there's got to be, if, the, if water's flowing uphill, there's got to be a pressure pushing it up. This got to happen. Because rivers always flow down. And I've heard people say for all my ministry experience, I don't have anything to offer. And what they're saying is I don't have anything to offer my peers and I don't have anything to offer people above me. But listen, the living water always flows down. And yes, you do have something to offer people who are less experienced than you, who are younger than you, uh, who, who don't know what you know, the water flows downward, and we're always lifting people up. You can't lift people any higher than you are, but yes, you can lift people up who aren't where you are yet. So spiritually speaking, the river always flows downward. Here's the second thing I'd say about rivers. Rivers can put you to sleep when they're calm. You know, it's just re kind of relaxing to be sitting beside a river, just kind of watch those slow, lazy rip waves, river go by, just calming. You can just close your eyes, take a nap. I'm afraid that's what's happened to a lot of the church. The water's there, but it's flowing so slowly, it's just putting us to sleep. And so we say, oh, 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 we need to pray for revival. We need a revival. That's what we need. Because the water's going so slow. But here's the third thing I'd say, and it's good news. Rivers can cut a gorge through solid rock when under pressure. How many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Sometime in your life you've seen it. Okay. 
Isn't that amazing to think it was water that did that? It was a river that was flowing through there. And when it got under pressure, it was, there was so much pressure, it actually would move boulders along. It would split the rocks until it's eroded down to where it is today. And you can't help but stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon and look over that and say, oh my God, you created all of this. This is the, this is the God that I serve. That's why God puts us under pressure. Because that's how things get done. The lazy river isn't going to change anything in this world. But it's a river that's un, under pressure that's released and, and organizes and plans and does something for the kingdom that sees great things happen. I want to be a part of that church. All right, let's go to the third part, which is uh, verses 8 through 10. I summarize it like this. I will not fret because I have a revelation. A revelation is something you've discovered that you didn't know before. You can read things in a book and it's really not a revelation. A revelation is like when the light comes on and all of a sudden uh, you, you say to yourself, Oh, oh, now I understand how the pieces come together. Now I understand how this works. That's a revelation. In verse 10, God says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. Quit fighting. Quit strategizing. Quit conniving. Be still and know that I am God. Shut up for a while and listen to what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say to us. Be still and know. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 in the New Testament says it like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is my fortress. I will not fret because I have a revelation. Oral Roberts used to say, I know that I know that I know that I know. The second thought I would want to bring out of this is, uh, he says in verse 9, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. The only problem is if our measurement is the ends of the earth, there has never been a time when there weren't wars going on, ever. There's always a war going on. We don't hear about it in the American news, but Africa is always being ripped apart with conflicts. The making wars to cease he's talking about is in the human heart. To the ends of the earth, wherever human hearts will be open to him, he can make wars cease. He can make peace between people. He can make peace between us and a holy God who just looking for an opportunity to pour peace out for those of us that are seeking it. And then he says, 
I will be exalted in the earth. I will. It's like this, this is this, what, whether you help or whether you don't, he says, I will be exalted on the earth. And if God says this is his purpose and this is what's going to happen, I think I'd rather get aboard. I think I'd rather get on his side than to just pay, patiently sit by and watch and see if he'll be exalted. I want to be a part of exalting him. That means lifting up. I want to lift up God. So I believe this faith movement should be exactly that, a movement of faith, an expansionist view, me transferring the faith I have to somebody else who transfers it to somebody else who transfers it to somebody else to the ends of the earth. God is expansionist. I don't know if you realize that or not. He's always wanting to grow. And then the, uh, the final point I'll share in verse 8. He says, come and see what the Lord has done. Come and see. What an amazing invitation. We don't have to convince people. You just give the invitation. Come and see what the Lord has done. Now, what are they, what are they going to come see? Has, has the Lord done anything for you? Is your life different today than it was in the past? Now you have something to invite somebody to come and see. In John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything come out, anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Can anything good come out of Waterloo? Come and see. Can anything good come out of New Hope Christian Center? Come and see. Does God give people a second chance? Come and see. I get excited when I stand up here and I look, I look across this congregation and I look in your faces and I know your stories. And it is so exciting to me to be reminded again and again of the amazing grace of God at work in ordinary human beings. So since I see it becoming reality all around me, I'm not hesitant to go and say to somebody, come and see that the Lord is good. Somebody says, well, my, I got an ugly past, a dark past. Uh, the roof would fall in if I walked in. I want to say, come and see. Give it a try. Give it a shot. All we, we don't have to convince anybody. We just make the invitation. If we don't make the invitation, they're still convinced the roof would fall in if they came in. Somebody's got to invite them. And people want to believe. Did you know that? People in this world want to believe there is a God who cares. They want to believe there is a God who would actually do something good in their life. They want to believe that God would not hold their offenses against them. People really want to believe that. But they don't believe it yet. What's going to change their mind? I know it's the Holy Spirit's job, but the Holy Spirit lives inside of you.
And unless we speak to them, the Holy Spirit has no vehicle, has no, you are the hands and feet of God. So we got to activate ourselves to practice what we say we preach. So think about the world you live in, the people around you in your world. Where is somebody that, where is somebody that's stuck? Stuck, can't move out of where they are. Where, where is somebody like that? Who is that person? And we need to work on those people. Those are the people that God wants to touch. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We need to sense that empowerment that I have rivers, uh, a river of living water inside of me. I need to feel it. You need to feel it. We need to act on it because it's a river and the church is going to sleep. And I don't like to see the church asleep. I want to see the church awakened. I want to see the church doing something. I want to see the waters flowing downward, changing lives, bringing everything that's dead alive again. That's what I want to see. <clears throat> and that's what we need to act on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Psalm 46 and what it says about our holy confidence in you. We can rest assured you're watching, you're going through life with us. Show us, God, what you want us to do at this point in our life, what action steps we need to take to be the people you called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got some prayer partners up the front that will pray with you. Go with God. Uh, walk out the door with that expectation. The river's flowing.